0: Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Sermons podcast. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.crossroadstw.org. Good morning, Crossroads. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. We are in week six. Can you believe that? We're in week six of this series entitled Mirrors, and I'm excited to dive into this topic this morning. As you can see, the setting has changed. I'm excited to be in our worship center uh, right now, this is a beautiful piece, and, and I'm excited to just cast a little vision and, and actually um, get you guys excited, hopefully, on coming back June 7th as the announcement is going out, and we're excited to see you here soon. But today, what we're going to do is kind of piggyback off of last week, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And really, just really building a um, more scaffolding in the Christian life to see how can we better build our lives on a solid foundation, on a biblical foundation. In other words, how should you and I, how should we function as a believer? Last week, Paul said, by the mercies of God, we ought to, we ought to, you ought to um, present our bodies or present your body as a living sacrifice. And so it's really based on that same clause that Paul picks up in our text today in Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 3. And he begins to argue this, this idea when it comes to the topic we're going to deal with. Now, by the way, let me just, off, out of the gate, let me just say this. You ready? Um, we're only going to deal with a few verses. We're not going to deal with a whole bunch of verses. We're not going to actually have a, like, this is not a, this is not a topical sermon in the sense of I'm choosing about six or seven different scriptures to support the actual topic. This is just basic exegetical teaching and that's what we do. We want to we look at the text, expound the text. That's what you'll see from here on out in the life of Crossroads. We want to look at the Bible and see what the Bible has to say. But this topic right here, it's not going to answer all the questions in the few verses we're dealing with this morning. So it, may, it really may trigger more questions, and I hope so in a sense of you discovering what God has called you to do. But I want to say this. There are many different differences and even opinions and ideologies and even thought patterns when it comes to this topic we're going to deal with today. It's surrounding the idea or the biblical principle or premise of spiritual gifts. In the body of Christ, spiritual gifts, you have one party in one side that's conservative, you have another side that's loose or what's known as um, being charismatic. So in other words, they're, they're loose with um, the practices of spiritual gifts in the context of the local church. And as a result of that, if you swing too too far on one side, conservative, you don't allow the Spirit of God to work and move in the the life of yourself and then even the life of the body of Christ, but then also if you're too loose, um, it can become a distracting and become unbiblical. Now, but because of that, there's much fear, misunderstanding, trepidation, and even a lot of hesitation and reluctancy in regards to even dealing with this or even speaking about this. But I want to say this, what the Bible speaks about, what the Bible is clear about, and what the Bible preaches and teaches, we as a church at Crossroads, we will speak to those things. Now, again, I want to make sure we understand this going forward, that the church is not a museum, it is a hospital. The church is not a museum, it's a hospital. In other words, when we get back together, I can't wait for that day to come. When we get back together, I will say this quite often, every single Sunday, really what it is, it's a messy family reunion. We're getting together under one great king, one great savior that loves us deeply. He, we're fully known and fully loved, but yet he, is, he still cares for us, and we are here to be more like him. And this is about equipping an army, not an audience. And that's not really just about entertaining an audience. And this text is actually going to build itself on this, this, this text, or not this text, but this comment. But it's going to really build itself on this. You ready? It's not a cruise ship, but it's an aircraft carrier. In essence, uh, we want to equip people here in the life of the church, and we want to send people out without apology. So, there's nothing greater. There's nothing greater on this side of heaven when the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is functioning how she ought to function. I'm going to say it again. There's, there's nothing greater. When the church is functioning, when she's working and operating how she ought to be operating on this side of heaven under the lordship of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, there's nothing greater. Why? Because we begin to see the manifestation of Christ, not only in the church, but outside the walls of the church, but making its way into, uh, in permeating the streets and even making an impact around the world. So Romans chapter 12, we're looking at verses three through eight. And we're going to start reading. The first thought is this, you ready? Grace, grace given. Verse three says this. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Anybody struggle with that this morning? Uh, I remember the old song, I'm too sexy for my shirt. You remember that? We just think too, too, too high on ourselves. Too sexy for this shirt, right? But he goes on to say this. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that has been given to you by God or assigned to you. And he says, we ought to do, we ought to do that. You ready? Grace given. So it's funny because Paul starts off saying, for by grace given to me, he's just really thinking about his, his Genesis experience when he came to the Lord and when God met him in other words, she's saying, I didn't have anything to do with it. I didn't pick and choose. I would have never thought I would be an apostle. I never thought that I'll be um, planting churches versus persecuting churches. I never thought that I'll be a pillar for not just the first century church, but the, even the church right now. We're standing on the, on the shoulders or on the back of the apostle Paul. And he's saying this, for by the grace given to me, I had nothing to do with it. I had nothing to do with this thing. God has divinely and willed me to be an apostle, to speak on his behalf and to build the church. And it's funny that he even starts off by talking about uh, just really humility. Now you think about church, you think about um, people coming together, It's funny because there were a lot of crowds following Jesus during Jesus' ministry. And one thing that I know to be true, when you have a crowd, you have people, and when you have people, you have problems, you have drama. And so even in the context of the church, um, there's this idea of biblical unity. And Paul is saying this, um, that humility must be first. He says that we we should not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. He says grace given, but sober judgment. In other words, there's no bragging. There's no bragging rights for you and I in the body of Christ. We didn't choose our race, we didn't choose our place. In other words, the fact that we'll be living in the United States, we didn't choose um, a, none of these things, even grace. Everything that we tend to brag on um, was literally out of our control. And so in other words, Paul is saying, this is what it means to have grace given, that there's no bragging rights. We are saved by grace through faith. This is what it looks like. Every single person, red, black, yellow, white, everyone's precious in Jesus' sight, every single one of us, we're saved by grace. There's no bragging rights. This is the issue in the church today and even in the church um, back in the day and beyond. That they were lobbying about who had the better gifts, who had the better um, uh, skill sets, if you will, in the context of the church. Some were superior, some were inferior gifts. But Paul is saying there's no bragging. There's no bragging allowed. There's no bragging allowed. Because what happens when you and I, when we think too highly of ourselves, Paul says, hey, man, the first thing, grace is given. But don't think too high or more highly than you ought to think. So I think also with this, some of us, we think too low of ourselves, and then our self-esteem is so low. And I want to be careful with this because I know there's a lot of mental health things going on in our culture, which has really hit the scene um, extremely um, uh, vividly in the last five years, uh, six years, that mental health is a real issue. And I want to be sensitive here. But the point I want to make here is this, that when we think um, of ourselves too highly then we ought to think, in other words, Paul is saying we ought to have a healthy, sober, um, a realistic picture of who we are before a holy God. So he says, we ought to have humility. See, when we don't have humility, when we think too highly of ourselves, here's what happens. When we think too highly of ourselves, it always results in relational conflict and disunity. The beauty of gifts is this, is that you and I will use them in the context of the church to bring God glory first, and then to edify or build up uh, the believers in Christ in the context of the church, but then also to have unity to make sure the mission is going forward. It's like the, the one pastor that was walking through kind of an archway, and it was kind of a, it was an echoey deal. And the guy that was uh, touring him around said, hey, man, you can shout out anything, and this echo comes back. It's really cool. And so the young guy was walking through. He's like, man, this is great. Let me try something. So he said, baloney! No echo. It's interesting. So he looks at the guy and goes, hey, man, uh, I thought this was supposed to like echo back at me. And he goes, well, just try it again. And he says, I'm the greatest preacher in the world. And the, and the echo came back, baloney, 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 right? It's us having... This, this higher view of ourselves than we ought to, and Paul is saying, it's all about true humility. Tim Keller once said on record, saying this, true humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but it is thinking of yourself less. You catch that? So how do we get there? Paul says we, we, shouldn't, uh, we ought not think highly of ourselves than we, than we should. In essence, it means this. How do we get there? We need to develop true humility, always keeping God's grace in view, always keeping God's grace in view. God, the fact that I woke up this morning, is because of you. The fact that I was, my heart is beating right now, is because of you. The fact that I can breathe right now, is because of you. The fact that I have some air in my lungs, is because of you. The fact that I was able to eat some food this morning and have taste buds, it's because of you. Everything is about you. So in other words, to keep a healthy, true humility, a biblical humility, not a false humility, is always keeping God's grace in view. But then also this, taking, what about going lower when people want to punch at you and And stab you in the back and things of that nature. Uh, Take the high road because there's less traffic there. What about this one? Remember that all that you have, including even including your faith. And this is what Paul is even saying, for by grace given to me. Like, right, I didn't, none of us really, none of us came out of the womb seeking. I must say this because a lot of times I hear people share their stories, their testimony, say, I've always been a Christian. That's not the case. Well, none of us really sought after God. And Paul is very clear early on in Romans. Um, none of us are righteous, no, not one, and none of us had a desire or an appetite for God. Had it, had it not been for Jesus stepping on the scene of humanity and, and dying for us and wooing us to himself via the Holy Spirit by the means of the cross, none of us would know what it means to have a relationship with God. And so in other words, even our faith, everything belongs to him, including our faith, it comes from God. What about this one when it comes to humility? This is a big leadership one, and even parenting or just owning up to stuff. When things go bad, or when things go good, excuse me, you stand in the back of the room. You stand in the back of the room. When things go bad, you stand in the front of the room. Humility, Paul says we we shouldn't think too highly of ourselves. And he says we ought to have sober judgment. He goes on to say this, but to think with sober judgment. I love this mindset. It's like really not being intoxicated with, um, um, Uh, wrong thoughts about yourself, because what happens, if you and I eat too much junk food, it messes us up. When we eat healthy food, it helps us to be healthy. In other words, he's saying we ought to have a sober summation, a sober um, reality, a sober disposition about who we are that's consistent with the truth of scripture. A sober, he says, judgment. And this judgment is not based on what other people are saying about you because sometimes we have people that just toot our horn and um, you know they, they speak over our lives or whatever the case may be. And Oh, you this, oh, you so great, oh yeah. And if we're not careful, that can make our head get a little puffy, right? But in essence, what Paul is arguing, if you peel back the text a little bit more, he's saying this, based on the truth of the gospel, that Jesus, he came, he died, he was buried, he rose again, he's coming back, and that we needed him, he didn't need us, based on this great truth that I'm fully known and fully loved, This helps you and I to have sober or sober judgment about ourselves. And it's not based on what other people say about us, it's based on what Jesus says about us, what the truth argues over us, what the gospel screams over our lives. You see, the key of having an honest or accurate evaluation is this, you ready? It's just knowing that your self-worth comes from not things that you do or even your past. Your past may explain you, but your past doesn't have to um, define you. So in other words, it's based on this, it's based on your identity in Christ. You see, your view of God will determine how much you're willing to do for him. In essence, if you have a big view of God, you'll be willing to do big things for him. But if you have a small view of God, that means you will only be willing to do small, comfortable, uh, minuscule things for this grand God. It was once said at A.W. Tozer in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. I recommend that book to you. as He said this, and really I believe in chapter, in chapter one, the first line. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into your mind, what comes into my mind is the most important thing about us. And really, here's where it gets at, to have a sober judgment about how we see ourselves and how God sees us, given the fact that grace has been given to us, how do we get to a point of really using the gifts that we ought to be using and not getting entangled with all the other affairs of this world, even the flesh? How do we get there? He's saying this, the real question we're asking here is, who am I? Who are you? Who are you at the end of the day? Who are you? And Paul is dealing with this big question right here. In other words, for us to truly function with how, how God wants us to function, we have to really deal with the who am I? And really, this is the questions that the human beings across, across the world, that matter where you're at, what continent you're on, we're asking this question, consciously or even unconsciously, these three questions. They're fundamental questions. Who am I? Who am I? This question deals with our identity. The second one is this, where do I belong? This question deals with our security. Then lastly, what am I supposed to do? This question deals with our significance. Every single human being, hear me say this under the sound of my voice, every single human, we ask these three questions. And by the way, we actually um, try to find the answers in different means and ways in life. And so, but they're robots to getting here. They're roadblocks. We have to deal with these roadblocks in order for us to really be used by God and to um, know the gifts that we have and to allow these gifts to, to really manifest or function in a way that God wants them to function in the life of the Christ and the life of body of Christ. But we have to deal with these roadblocks right here. You ready? Fear. Fear. I'm afraid of failing. I, I don't even want to try because I've tried. Maybe, maybe I was teased when I was young, when I was a kid, and, and that still has weight on me today. Let me tell you something. Uh, th- the fact that something happened to you a long time ago, God dealt with that. You had back coverage. His grace is back coverage. Even right now, he has present uh, coverage. In other words, that's the aorist tense, meaning this, there's a past event that has present results. God deals with our past, but he also gives us provision for today. So maybe it's fear. Right? Just afraid of, of doing things. What if it's insecurity? It may be insecurity for you. Maybe it's um, compare games. And I think maybe some of this is the case going on in this, in this context. I know for sure in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Compare games. Pride. That's the, the vice of all sins, and every other sin stems from there. What about just feeling unworthy? I've heard more men over the years in ministry say that they felt unworthy um, just to lead their families. This is big, man. God has called men to lead. You talk about just using gifts and, and, and using what God has divinely given to each person. A lot of men just feel unworthy, right? Maybe they didn't have a father in their home. Maybe that's, there's this vacuum or this, this um, aching hole there that they never seen it themselves. So therefore, how can they administer it or give it to the family that God has entrusted to them? And men just feel unworthy. I know that's the case. Let me tell you this, your worth is not found in your past. Your worth is not found in what you do. Your worth is found in the risen Savior. Again, I said this, I think a couple weeks ago, there's no uh, thing that we deal with on this side of heaven that a good resurrection cannot heal. So secondly, Paul says, grace discovered. Grace given, I know it's a lot in that first point, right? Grace discovered is the second point, but grace given was one. Uh, Grace discovered, look at verse four. For as, here it is, he's starting to build it now. Now that you kind of understand the the previous part, look at the second part. For as in one body, now he starts breaking down the functionality uh, and the, the diversity, if you will, of the body. For as in one body, we have many members, many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Praise the Lord. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. He goes on, and I'll talk about the rest, about the specific gifts, about using them. But he says, look, here's the deal. Many members in one body, even though we're individuals in the body that make up the body, we're still connected to one another. So in other words, this text is arguing this. It's speaking to two major, you have to catch these principles. You ready? It speaks to the diversity of God. It speaks to the diversity or the diverse nature of God. God, when he spoke everything into existence, you go back to Genesis 1. In Genesis 2, you think about just the creation account, how God made different animals. He made different plants. He made different insects, different fowls of the air, um, different um, 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 beasts on the field, different different fish, if you will, in the sea. All these, the diverse nature of God. This is very beautiful because it speaks to ecclesiology and how the church ought to function. So it speaks to how God is a very diverse God. You think about food. I love steak, a good steak. Amen. Come on, go with me. Right this morning, a good steak and taste buds right? That I can taste some kale and go, Ugh, or I can taste a nice seasoned steak. Ah, man, that's on point. I cut to that bad boy and be like, mm, mm. oh man, that's good, right? So just the, the variety, even when it comes to food and animals and, and people, man and woman. But you imagine if everything was the same? Every, everything was the same. Can you imagine if there is just, Lord forbid, I know myself. But imagine yourself by your own self. Just imagine this. If, if everybody was just like you, how born will life be? As a matter of fact, you'd be like, I wouldn't even want to be around, right? Because I'm, I'm not that, I'm not all that in a bag of chips. I make myself out to be that way, but I'm not all that in a bag of chips. So what if everything was the same? Thank God he's a God of diversity. And secondly, it speaks to this. You ready? Verse five uses the word individually. He says, individually members, but also he tags it on to the next phrase, one of another. It teaches this, interdependent. We are interdependent on each other, on each other the body, you and I, we need the body of Christ. You and I, we need the body of Christ. And I know this is something that some people go, well, I'm just, I don't need to go to church and I can just follow the Lord. I'm going to tell you this right now. You ready? That is not true biblical. Uh, that's not a true biblical concept, nor is that truth. In other words, you and I, we all need the body of Christ to grow in our spiritual walks. It's just like something as simple as a fish needing a body of water to actually live. Same thing when it comes to the Christian. Well, here's our goal as a church. You ready? To help you discover, grace discovered, gifts discovered, your gift discovered in the context of the church, this is our mission. This is why God has enlisted us. This is why God has called me here in this season of Crossroads Church. This is why he's called me here. You ready? So that we may lean into passages like this and Ephesians four eleven that says this, Paul goes on a record and said that, that God has given to the church um, key leaders for this reason, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. A lot of times we think it's just those that are hired, that um, it's their responsibility to, to reach the community. It's their responsibility to grow the church. It's their responsibility to disciple everyone. That is false thinking. That is false ideology. That is false orthopraxy. In other words, Paul is saying this, every single person individually, a part of one body is still connected to one another. We need one another. So therefore, every gift that we have been given by God, grace has been given to us, We use it to give him glory, but then also to edify or build up the church. It's to edify and build up the church. It's to build up the church of Jesus, of Jesus Christ. In other words, he's saying, none of us, man, we can't function without the next person. We got to equip you to do the work of the ministry. And even right now, as I think about this, when we come back to church, there are going to be some areas of leadership that's going to be needed. In other words, maybe in students right? Maybe in student ministry, maybe in our kids ministry, you say, man, look, I've been with my kids when things are back normal. I've been with my kids all week long. I hear this. I've heard it over the years. I've been with my kid all week long. I want to dump my kid off uh, in the, in the kids ministry. And I just want to go sit in service. That's a wrong way of thinking, saints. That's a wrong way of thinking. In other words, you have a part to play. If you have a passion for kids, go serving kids. If you have a passion for students and seeing sixth graders all the way to 12th to learn biblical truth, to learn theological principles so that they can learn it. And when they go off to college, that crazy percentage that say that 80% of students walk away from their faith, when they go to college, you can be a part of them uh, or even that percentage going down and them owning their faith and making a difference in the next season of their lives. Maybe God is calling you to serve students. Maybe he's calling you to serve with our kids' ministry, whatever the case may be. But I want to tell you this, when we function as God wants us to function, I truly believe if you're wired a certain way, and you discover what that means and what that looks like, we will see the heavens open. I'm going to say it again. If you and I are functioning as God designed and has um, from eternity past wired us to function, we will see the heavens open we'll begin to see a movement of God that only can be explained by God, and all credit will go to God. Why? Because he is the author, he is the maker, he is the one who allows these things to happen, as Paul would even say but again in verse three, for by the grace given to me. I had nothing to do with this. I am just an instrument being used by God, a jar of clay with a great treasure inside of me that needs to come out when I'm positioned and postured, and I'm placed in God's hand as a fit instrument to be used by him. Therefore, we will see great things happen. Lives saved, marriages restored. We will see people getting off drugs and becoming uh, saints of God. We will see disciples um, made, if you will, students reaching their schools, kids even owning their faith, Um, parents learning from their kids. We will begin to see great things happen. The baptism waters stirred on a weekly basis. We will begin to see. And actually, you know what? There will not be enough space in the church and we will have to start planning accordingly. That's what I want to see. Saints, I don't want to have a born church. I don't want to have a born Christianity I don't want to live a mediocre, safe, if you will, uh, EOR theology, woe is me. Based on this text, we have been empowered, we've been given position, and not only that provision to be used by God in a great way, but we got to get out the way. We got to get out the way. So as you think about your own life, if you think about your life right now, ask these questions in regards to how God has wired you. You ready? How has he gifted me? What did you gift it at? Let me say, Marcus, I don't know what that is, and well, I'm going to help you in just a little bit explain. We have some resources for you. What about passions? What passion do you have? What desires do you have? When you're in a certain setting, what, what triggers certain things within you um, for the kingdom of God when it comes to serving? Where has God placed me? So in other words, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, um, right here in the context of Crossroads, um, what, what, what happens? In other words, where has he placed you? Look at that as an opportunity to actually begin to discern how God has wired you. and What is God calling you to do? What is he calling you to do? Because naturally connected to serving is joy. Connected to serving is joy. You and I, we have not lived a Christian life until we've served someone. We've truly served someone. In other words, so, so you realize that when you serve people, you discover something. That joy, the, you really discover the joy, the fact that God is using you to serve other people. That's really what it boils down to. And I, I wonder, man, because sometimes you look at many Christians in the Christian world, and, and they, they say, man, Christianity is born. Well, I wonder ask yourself this question, are you serving somebody? Maybe this is the challenge for you this morning. Are you serving somebody? Because I would have never thought in a million years that I'll be a pastor. I never thought in a million years that I'll be a public speaker. They say the two um, most fearful things with humans is death and public speaking. I never thought in a million years. As a matter of fact, I remember being young in elementary school and I'll be giving my report or giving my, you know, presentation. I remember being sixth grade and Mr. Santos is my teacher. I remember that. That's how scarred I am. I remember my sixth grade teacher's name. Amen. Mr. Santos. He said, "Marcus, your turn." Right. And I got up and I was like, mm-hmm. I forget what I, the topic of my project was, but I was, I was, I thought I was pontificating. I thought it was just, it was just coming out so clear and and I was articulating everything. But in my mind, I thought that. But something else was going on. I literally, Mr. Santos said, uh, "Marcus, if you um, if you don't speak clearer or." Uh, just start over, uh, you're going to get a bad grade. And I thought in my mind that I was actually communicating. Here's what I here's why I shared that. You ready? God took a stuttering young kid from Oakland, California, and now he's raised him up to be a communicator. In Jeremiah chapter 1, I've, I've before your mother, before you are in your mother's womb, I've already ordainedly set you apart to be a spokesman to the nations. This is something again. This is that grace given. I didn't ask for this. I didn't look for this. I didn't. I didn't search after this. God sought me, and by His grace, He has purposely and sovereignly said, and providentially said, "Man, here's my perfect will for your life. Marcus, walk in it, use it. Um, if, if whatever the case may be, you're going to grow in this. But I want I want you to use it. Why? You will begin to use it to edify me, well, to glorify me, and then to edify the body of Christ. What is God calling you to do? He took a scared, mumbling kid from the streets to pastor now, and I. I give God all the praise and the glory for that. Well, Back in April 4th of 1984, or 83, excuse me, uh, the Challenger space shuttle went up into space. You remember, Many of you remember this. It started off in a, in a glorious way, but ended in a very, it ended in grief. Millions of pieces and parts, a part of this, this space shuttle. Millions of parts, billions of dollars, but seven lives were lost that day. Why do I share that? doing more research. As I study this, I begin to do research. And man, why? What happened? What millions of parts and billions, billions of dollars to get this thing off of the ground to go into space. After doing research, I discovered this. It was all because of one little small O-ring. O-ring. An O-ring didn't do what it was designed to do. And as a result, it was a glorious start, but a tragic ending. And I want to ask you this question this morning. You ready? Ask yourself this question. To be honest, the soul, this is having a sober judgment or a sober summation of yourself before a holy God. Ask yourself this question. You ready? Are you an O-ring in the body of Christ? Are you really functioning how God wants you to function so that the mission of God, the purposes of God, the kingdom of God is proclaimed and propelled to the world? Well, God wants to use the church to reach the culture and the community. So on our website, we'll have, we have something on our website as a spiritual gift test for you. If you say, Marcus, I want to um, actually discover, actually kind of figure out maybe how I'm wired. Again, spiritual gift tests, they can be uh, a help. They're not the gospel, but at least they'll begin to point you in the right direction when it comes to um, how you may be wired. You can find it on our website. But know this, God has a purpose for you. He has a place for you. and You have a part to play in the body of Christ. And then lastly, Paul says, use it. Many different parts, one body, but he says, use it. Look at verse six. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Oh, I circled in my Bible, use. Let us use them. Let us put it in gear. Uh, Let us start peddling, if you will, when it comes to the practicality of our walk with Christ. He says, let us use them. And then he starts listing off these different um, gifts, if you will, in the context of the church, but he says, Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, that word prophecy means really to speak sound uh, doctrine, to speak God's word, to proclaim God's word, to foretell God's word in the sense of here's what God's words say. If you listen to it, here's what happens. If you don't listen to it, here's what's going to happen. So that's the word prophecy. It also, it has a double, other double meaning, meaning this, it also means to be able to speak on the dime. um, In other words, encouraging somebody that God has put on your heart to encourage somebody um, in the faith, Okay. It's not saying that we're foretelling the future and all this stuff. That's not what the word is. It's just those other two meanings. He says, in proportion to your faith, if service, there it is, he says, in our serving. In other words, serve. One who, excuse me, the one who teaches in his teaching. So if he's if serving, serving. If it's teaching, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, that means kind of encourages, if you will, speak life into people. If the one who exhorts in his exhortation the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads, lead with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy, do so with cheerfulness. So he says, use it, use it. It's like the old song, put me in coach, I'm ready to play. Put me in coach, I'm ready to play. Put me in coach, I am ready to play. So when we come back to the church, you and I, every single person, we ought to come with something to offer. We shouldn't come empty-handed, based on this text. We shouldn't come saying, tickle my ears. We shouldn't come saying, scratch my back. We shouldn't come saying, I want to be entertained. We should come and say, God, you're so holy. And by the mercies of God, I want to to stay on the altar so that you can have the blank check of my life. And then now, here's what I want, desire to be all that you want me to be, all that you wired me to be so that I can be used for your glory and fame. John the Baptist said it best. He said, I must decrease that God or Jesus may increase in my life. Put me in coach and ready to play. It's one of our new core values going forward. It's going to be this, getting the game. It basically means this that saved people, saved people, they serve people. Saved people, they served, they serve people. And I want to say this. Determine right now. Determine this morning. After this, the Spirit of God has been working in your heart. The moment I started talking about this passage or whatever the case may be, I want you to really determine this morning, God, you have given me something to do, help me to discover it, not just discover it and sit on it and sit on my blessed assurance, but help me to see it, to grow in it, and to use it. Why? And trust the results all up to you. I want to bring you glory and I want to build up the body of Christ because you know why? You grow when you serve. You grow what you serve, I grow when I serve. Nothing helps you grow in your walk or relationship with Jesus. your personal walk with Jesus like helping someone else grow in their relationship with Jesus. And then what happens as well, serving unlocks God's deepest purposes within your heart and within your life. That just happens. And Paul says this, you ready? Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, to you, to me. He says, let us use them. Let us use them, whatever it may be. In other words, it means this that when we come back to church, you ought to be asking this question. What role should I play? What role do I play in this body, in this body? What role do I play in this body? Because we are individuals, but we are also part of a body, but also a part of one another. So we're interdependent. We need each other for, for, to grow in our spiritual walk. So in other words, ask yourself, what part am I? Am I that O-ring? Am I fulfilling what God has called me to do in the midst of this? Am I fulfilling how God has wired me? Am I using these gifts to bring him glory and to build the body of Christ? What am I doing? How can I serve? Ask that question. What about this? When you see something that that's out of place that doesn't fit your fancy, you begin to complain about it. Don't complain about it. Actually, in that moment, you stop and say, God, maybe this is an invitation from you to do something about it. You say, man, I didn't like the way I was greeted uh, this morning when I came into church. Okay, great, congratulations. Um, um, your pastor, I'm saying this, congratulations, thank you. I wanna see you sign up for to, get, to be a part of the guest service team the next week, amen. To change it, right? To change, to change it. And Because really what happens is this, you ready? This is how you really determine if someone understands the gospel. They begin to take ownership. They begin to take ownership in their walks. And they say, God, I don't want to just come be served by the church. I want to serve the church and to move the church forward for God's, for God's grace. But you have to start somewhere. He says, let us use them. And some of you really don't know what your gifts are this morning. And some of us, we do. and We've kind of neglected those. Uh, some of us were functioning in these gifts. Some of us we want to uh, get get stronger, if you will, in these gifts. But we have to start somewhere. And for the person this morning that that said, "Man, I haven't been really doing anything. I've been sitting uh, and chilling and soaking." Jesus didn't die on the cross for you to sit. He He died on the cross for you to be transformed, so that He He may use you for His glory. In other words, it's like learning how to walk. I never seen a parent teach a kid how to walk or actually the, the baby begin to crawl and then learn how to walk and all that stuff, and the baby takes two steps and the baby fall down. I, I've never seen this. I've never seen a baby fall down and a parent go, um, man, you're a horrible kid. Get it together. Oh, my gosh. Right, just putting the kid down. That would be some very bad stuff, okay? Uh, that may be on, like, TMZ or some stuff, but, but that's bad. That's just, that's just horrible, okay? But God doesn't look at you like that. In that grace, this is the scandalous. again, I said this a while ago, this is the scandalous part of God's grace, that even when we choose not to uh, do things, don't you know that in this moment, even though when we can pick up and start fresh again, we have been using the gift that God has given us, that God dying on the cross via Jesus Christ, via the cross, a criminal cross, that he knew that we will be sitting, we will be comfortable, we will neglect him, and all this stuff, he knew all of that, going to the cross and dying for us, yet he still chose to die for us. That is the grace he is given to us today, that we may be able to walk in these things and and start right now. It's progress and not perfection. This is what John Newton said. I love this, and we're getting ready to wrap up. He said this. John Newton, the great hymn writer, said this. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. Is that you this morning? I am not what I hope to be, but by God's grace, I am not what I was. Hallelujah. Amen. You see, there's built-in accountability in this text. It's built-in accountability. In other words, let us use them. And We understand this. If you proclaim to be a Christian, then guess what? Your brother and sister, they have the right to actually encourage you. As a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews will say that we ought to spur one another on in love and good deeds. In other words, in the context of the church. Let us, let us not neglect meeting together, which is the habit of some or, or you know of others, but let us, when we do, spur one another on. In other words, we ought to come thinking about how can I encourage the next person to use their gift for the betterment of the body of Christ. Don't aim low in your faith. Don't aim low in your walk with Jesus. Don't aim low. And it's like one time, one person said, hey, Pastor, well, man, I'm just burnt out. And I said, well, you ain't burnt out. You ain't never been on fire. You ain't never been on fire. Another person said, hey, Pastor, i, I- backslid," and I said, well, you never move forward. You've been moonwalking your entire Christian life. Saints, I want to encourage you this morning as we wrap this up, the time has come to get in the game. The time of playing church is over. Post-COVID-19, God has prepared the soil. He's prepared the harvest so that we may be God's plan A to reach the culture, to impact the culture, to manifest ourselves as we use our gifts to be a manifestation of Jesus to a watching world, to reach the world for the glory of Christ. The day is now the time. Time is now and the hour is now. Will you use your gifts? Will you use what God has given you to be all that he's called you to be for his glory and then to build up the body of Christ so that we can be be thorough, we can be steady, we can be grounded and rooted, not tossed to and fro by all these different doctrines and the things that come our way, the ideologies and thought patterns, that's so frequent and prevalent in our culture, but that you and I will know what we, need, what we ought to do, what we ought to do, what we ought to do, how he's wired us. And then, not only that, we will function in that. Because at the end of the day, remember, as we wrap up the series, let us stay on the altar. Don't climb off. So, what happens when we do that, we do not neglect or forfeit transformation. We'll be able to walk in these grace given. We'll be able to walk and discovering the the gifts that God has given us. Not only that, we'll also be more prone and more excited to use the gifts. Because why? You ready? It's all for Him. We want to know the gospel, embody the gospel, but demonstrate the gospel going forward. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity of Scripture that you have wired every single person to be a part of your body. You've given us these things. You've qualified to call, right? The old saying, you don't call the qualify, but you qualify to call. Thank you for that, Lord. Thinking that every single person has a place. Every single person has a part to play. Even right now, some had not even jumped into the game. Lord, I pray that they will do so right now. And I pray for those that don't know you. And they say, well, how, how do I get in the game? I'm not even a believer. Right now, you say, I want that. It's apparent that I'm missing something, I'm 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 longing for community, I'm longing for biblical community, I'm longing for uh, this thing called the church, I'm longing for uh, kingdom living, I'm longing for living for something bigger than myself and just the mundane, mediocre uh, just things right now. You say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I love you. Lord, I know you died for me. Lord, I repent and turn from my sin. And I'm asking you, Jesus, today to come into my heart and my life and save me. Thank you for giving me a gift. Thank you for giving me a purpose. Thank you for giving me a meaning to live. Help me to do so for your glory and for the betterment or the edification of the body. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, Crossroads. See ya!